Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. On this episode, we have a very special guest with us. Um, He is a Capital Research Center investigative uh, researcher, and he's a friend and colleague of mine. His name is Hayden Ludwig, and he's written a really interesting five-part piece for our Capital Research Center website um, on Margaret Sanger, who Hayden actually has written about quite a bit, so he is something of an expert on Lady Sanger. Uh, His newest five-part series is called Margaret Sanger, The Tragedy of Overpopulation. And it's essentially detailing not only Sanger's personal beliefs, but how she was, interestingly, a uniter of leftists. And we're seeing a lot of that influence even today. So I'm going to welcome Hayden and I'm going to ask him a few questions about that. And he's going to help illuminate how we see Margaret Sanger and what we know about her. Hayden, thanks for coming on. Glad to be with you. Thanks. So let's talk about this series. Um, I know that it, it covers it covers so much, uh, but it starts with Margaret Sanger, the tragedy of overpopulation. Um, so in the in the series, which I read uh, this morning, um, you you kind of detail how Sanger was the mother of the birth control movement for sure. That was her sort of pet project, um, and she was certainly one of the intellectual founders of Planned Parenthood. But you also talk about how she united the left. Can you explain that a bit more? Yeah. Well, if you look at what what Singer accomplished in her lifetime, she's remembered mostly for creating Planned Parenthood, which is the largest abortion provider in the U.S. and uh, you know one of the leading pillars of the modern uh, left in terms of political activism. But creating that involved bringing together so many disparate elements in the capital P progressive camp of the early 20th century, 1920s, 30s, 40s. And specifically, you find that her most prominent supporters came from a couple different camps. There were people who were big into eugenics back when that was considered a progressive thing. Uh, there were socialists, people running from democratic socialism like Bernie Sanders all the way to hard communists. And there were even people who you'd call a white supremacist. In fact, a guy who coined that phrase white supremacist was one of the founders of Planned Parenthood's predecessor, the American Birth Control League. And Margaret Sanger was kind of interesting because she sympathized and had things in common with all of these different camps, even though she really didn't belong exclusively to any one of them. And and my thesis is that her real genius as as a political activist was drawing all of these groups together and showing them that the only way any of them get any political victories is if they all unite around a common purpose, which she saw as birth control. And um, if you look at the modern left today, it's why if you go to a political rally, you'll find a big labor union like the uh, AFL-CIO chanting just as loudly uh, for birth control and, and abortion rights as Planned Parenthood. Or you'll find Planned Parenthood chanting just as loudly as the Sierra Club for global warming policy. So they act in unison on all these things and Sanger really figured this out first. That's really interesting because I think, you know, her um, her image has been sanitized uh, very well over the years. And you even go into, uh, at one point you talk about how the modern Planned Parenthood group might not even be as um, interested in her as an activist because some of her ideas aren't even as radical as theirs. Is that correct? 
Yeah, specifically abortion. When I set out to write the whole piece, um, it involved about a month and a half of reading through loads of what she wrote, including her autobiography, and then, of course, what people wrote about her in all decades since she died in the 60s. What you find is people on the left and the right have a lot to say about Margaret Sanger. And um, as a conservative, as a critic of Sanger, I wanted to give her a fair shake and hear what she had to say about herself. But um, I noticed along the way that a lot of groups had actually misidentified um, good criticisms of her and made criticisms of things that she actually didn't really mean. A good example is on abortion. I think it's a big missed opportunity among conservatives who see her as kind of the queen of abortion because she founded Planned Parenthood. Well, actually, in 1934, Sanger went to the Soviet Union, um, and there she traveled around and examined all of these uh, birth control and abortion clinics that were put on by the Soviets. And you got to remember that the Soviets were uh, the first modern country to legalize abortion in 1917 after the Russian Revolution. And they very soon quickly started um, subsidizing abortions for Soviet women. Well, by the time Margaret Sanger got there, this country was having something like 400,000 abortions a year, which was unheard of back in the 1930s. Nowhere on earth like that. And Sanger was staggered by that number, and she actually interviewed a Soviet doctor and, and told him, to paraphrase her, that 400,000 abortions a year indicates there's a lot of women out there who don't want to get pregnant. They don't want to have children. So wouldn't it be more practical and possibly a little better for their health if they had birth control instead of just simply aborting the baby? Well, the Soviets didn't want anything to do with that. But she got home and she started writing a little bit more about abortion. And everything that I could find that she wrote indicated that she saw it as, quote, savage, as barbaric. She saw it as something that endangered a woman's health because, yeah, naturally it's an invasive, invasive thing, especially in the 1930s. And so her views, the irony today is that her views of abortion are so critical of it because she thought that contraception was the better of the two that uh, she actually probably wouldn't be able to have a job at Planned Parenthood. Not when you consider that Planned Parenthood ousted its last president, Lena Wen, who's, who's a very big liberal, um, because Lena Wen dared to suggest that Planned Parenthood could focus on something other than abortion on demand as a, as a human right, you know, focus on things like genuine women's health issues. They fired her for that. So they have more of a fundamentalist position on abortion than their own founder. Isn't that interesting? I think that that speaks a great deal to just how radical they are. And they have done a, they've done a really good job of sort of making it seem like they're not that radical, that they're just this sort of normal group that's interested in women's health. So it's fascinating to me that you discovered that. Um, let's back backtrack just a bit and go back to the fact that Sanger never really threw in wholeheartedly with some of these groups that were sort of, um, you know, sort of circling around her. Uh, the eugenicists are the one I'd like to talk about. Uh, she didn't claim to be a eugenicist. I know that critics of her today tend to link her to that movement, but she did see some commonalities between eugenicists and her own birth control movement. Um, so it is fair to link her. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, just using her own words, what she wrote, she wrote a lot about eugenics. It's true that she she never declared herself wholeheartedly a eugenicist or threw in entirely with them, but that's only because she thought eugenics didn't go far enough. Um, she actually wrote a, a piece in the 1920s called The Eugenic Value of Birth Control. Uh, we, should, we should mention that eugenics, what it means, it, it comes from 
Greek words basically meaning beautiful or beautifying. And the whole goal, it was a pseudoscience that thought that like breeding animals, like breeding horses or dogs, that you could basically cause a whole generation of superior humans to appear by breeding only the, the best, whatever that definition is, and, and disallowing people you consider, quote, unfit from having children. It's a word she used all the time. And look, her point with the eugenics piece was that she saw, and this is a quote, she, she argued that the final aim of eugenics is one and the same as birth control. What she means by that is she's referring to a philosophy that she built up over her entire life that's usually forgotten today. It's kind of a capital BC birth control. It's not, not simply contraception. It's kind of a utopian worldview. And so you got to step back into where she comes from. She, she grew up seeing things as a socialist. And so as a, as a Marxist, she understands the world in terms of class warfare. But instead of classes, she looked at it more as men and women. You know, um, and there's there's a little bit of truth to this. You can sympathize. For instance, um, women back about 100 years ago would very often die in childbirth. It was very dangerous to carry a, a pregnancy to term and then to give birth. Well, coming from that world, she understood that uh, it would it would limit a woman's ability to make her way through life if she was always pregnant. And so, if a woman could choose when she became pregnant. It would um, free up all sorts of, of, of abilities for her to pursue a career, for her to maybe possibly extend her life in the most extreme circumstance. She called this family planning, which is the term they still use today. And that itself is not so controversial, perhaps, but she followed this through to the eugenics camp, understanding that not only do we want a woman to choose when to conceive, we should actually control who gets to conceive. So yeah, she actually lobbied two different presidents, Calvin Coolidge and Woodrow Wilson, to create a federal, various names for it, but like a federal population bureau. And the whole goal would be to study um, the demographics of the U.S. and determine who is fit and unfit. And usually that meant that poor immigrants, you know, the Irish, uh, blacks, would not fit into the, uh, the people she considered worth reproducing because she thought that they were, they were um, intellectually inferior. And so her whole goal with, with the eugenics crowd was getting them to support the goals of birth control because the way she looked at it was eugenics is concerned with the quality of people who are born, whereas the birth control people are concerned with the number of people who are born. So they, they really had similar goals when you, when you look at it that way. And that's very interesting because I'm glad you, you talked about her Marxism um, because I want to discuss what as the last sort of segment, last question, uh, what do you think about her philosophy has been so uh, attractive to the left, both of her day? I know that eugenics fell very much out of favor because of its association with Nazism after World War II, but the, the progressive left has really picked it back up. Obviously, look at the, the power of, of Planned Parenthood. Um, and a lot of uh, uh, Democrat uh, leaders on the left who are women tend to really idolize Sanger. Um, Hillary Clinton is is a big one to mention. So Marxism, and the reason I the reason I'm glad you brought up her Marxism is that they they sort of that philosophy sort of has this idea that this intellectual elite um, is is best at making decisions for, you know, the proletariat. And that's what they call it, the, the unwashed masses. 
Do you think that that's what her philosophy, that's why it appeals to the progressive left, because they've bought into that sort of um, Marxism light or even just straight Marxism of the Soviet era? Yeah, I don't think there's a simple answer. The best answer I could come up with is what led me to kind of coin her the woman who united the left. And here's why. Um, if you if you look in pure philosophical terms, I, I, it's my idea that there's really two people who shape the modern left, whether the modern left knows it or not. And that's Sanger and uh, Vladimir Lenin. I have no reason to believe that Sanger read or, or knew Lenin, although she was a contemporary in that era. Um, but there's a really great line of about Lenin from an ex-socialist who's now a scholar of communism. And it was that if you understand Lenin's worldview, it was that communism, Marxism, progressivism, whatever you want to call it, is really only uh, is really about only a few people knowing what's going on at any given moment. And so that means there's really a small cabal of people who understand what the whole system is about. And everybody beneath them are really the unwashed masses, the, the useful idiots that Lenin supposedly said, that coined the phrase. Well, if you take that idea and you look at the modern left in the way it's very top down and the way it's organized, it makes a lot of sense. They're not necessarily Leninists, but Lenin kind of got it right when he identified that. So in that sense, yes, there is a Marxist way of organizing. But flip back to Margaret Sanger for a minute. Sanger kind of understood this. So again, I don't think she got it from Lenin. I think she arrived at a similar understanding of look, if every one of these diverse array of special interests tries to get everything it wants, it may win a few battles, but it's probably going to lose a lot of battles. But if all of them unite in a single coalition, it's true that not every, not each one of those groups won't get everything it wants, but it'll get a little bit of what it wants. And next election cycle, it'll get a little bit more of what it wants. And so it's an attitude of we all move forward together or none of us move forward at all. And it's very powerful when you think about the way the modern American left is structured. It's very different if you look at from conservatives to liberals. Conservative groups on the right, kind of the, the Republican Party is usually called the big tent because you have different kinds of groups that all have a lot in common. Fiscal conservatives, social conservatives. The things that they have in common usually outweigh the things they don't have in common. But if you look at the other side, it's not easy to find commonalities between, say, a communist or a black nationalist or a feminist or an environmentalist. What they have in common is really what they're against. They're against conservatives. They're against traditional values, whatever. And so they're defined more in the negative than what they have in common, in the positive. And so the only way, logically, to keep that kind of coalition together is to make it very strong, that every group sacrifices a little bit so that we all gain a little bit. It's a very collectivist attitude when you think about it, and it's the only way they win. It doesn't work every time, of course, but I think um, the way she came to understand things is, um, like I said, she grew up a socialist, but she actually left socialism. It always tinged her worldview, but she eventually realized it wasn't gonna go anywhere. There wasn't gonna be a communist revolution in the US, probably, and uh, she left that. She looked at the eugenics crowd and realized those people have some points that are right that I agree with, but in the main, they're not going to get anywhere either. And then she looked at the, the white supremacist crowd, you know, the KKK. She spoke before at one point in New Jersey, and she realized those guys, too, they're not going to get anywhere. But if we bring out elements from all of them and get them all to work together, then we can achieve something ourselves. And I think you see that today. I, I notice every time I cover a left-wing rally that they're all unison, even though 
you think about it, Greenpeace has no real reason to be for abortion rights. And Planned Parenthood has really no interest in global warming. <laughs> and yet they all argue the same lines because they've all agreed that we have to have the same lines. And to answer your question more directly, I, I, I don't think the left knows why it loves Margaret Sanger. Um, Planned Parenthood's highest award is the Margaret Sanger Award. It, it, Jane Fonda's gotten it. Hillary Clinton's got it. Barack Obama was the first sitting president to speak before Planned Parenthood in, I think, 2014. So it's very important to the left, but I'm not sure the left understands why it's so important, because there's really no other reason. If they got, if they got rid of Margaret Sanger the way they denounced Woodrow Wilson, who was another progressive icon until recently, I don't think it would cause bodily harm to Planned Parenthood. But I think instinctively they know they owe a debt of gratitude to her and just the way they think and organize and operate. So that's the best thesis I can come up with why. And, and I wish they would denounce her. I wish they'd look at her and, and say that we don't believe in the things that she believed. But I think that day is a long way off. Yeah, she was the original community organizer is what it sounds like. And they and they like that, that sort of style of, of uh, activism. So the work you've done on her is amazing. I know you've done other work for us uh, at Capital Research Center. You've had op-eds out there. You've worked with the Heritage Foundation on some things. So uh, everyone should go check out Hayden's work. Uh, you, can, you can find it at capitalresearch.org. And as I mentioned at the top, the name of the article is Margaret Sanger, or the first um, entry into the five-part series is Margaret Sanger, The Tragedy of Overpopulation. And Hayden goes on from there into a really interesting uh, series, uh, you know, just kind of looking at the life and the beliefs of this woman who is so influential on the left today. So Hayden, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. So glad to be with you. Okay, that's our show. Uh, as always, um, if you have not subscribed yet, you can go to uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple, anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, and if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We will see you again next week.